Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by the ever smart and pretty Julie Fudge-Smith. And in on this week's episode, we're going to talk about just kind of a grab bag of individual bits of information that wouldn't be big enough to make a full episode, but gives you a little bit of a buffet of perspectives and situations to help you through this holiday season or, I don't know, just this season. So um, as is typical in our format, I did the introduction, and so Julie gets to make the first comment. All right. Well, I, I love the idea of a buffet. I love buffets. Anyway, I thought about this this morning because I, I just yesterday did my swan song at OSU, that's Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, veterinary behavior. Went with a client and um, learned some interesting things. And so I thought, you know, there's a couple of things I would like to pass on to people just so you have this information, it might make life with your dog a little bit easier, or your cat, because I have a, a cat thing too. One of the first things I learned was, was we were looking at this particular dog's medication, because this dog has generalized anxiety and has been on a wide variety of medications. And so we're, the behavior veterinarian decided that he wanted to add in a medication, and then tweak some of the other ones. But one of the things he said was, I'd like you to stop giving her the CBD oil, which their general vet had recommended. And he said the reason behind that is there's a lot of reasons why he doesn't recommend it. But in this particular case, what he was saying is that the CBD competes with some of the same receptors of the medication that the dog was getting so that it reduced the efficacy of the medication. So if you take out the CBD, the medication may be more effective and you might begin to see the results that you were desiring. So given if your dog is taking medication as well as you're giving it CBD oil, make sure you check with your veterinarian to make sure that the CBD oil is not interfering with the medication that you're giving your dog. So that was one thing. And then another thing that they taught was um, I, I love the staff at OSU. Um, big shout out for them. They are a wonderful group of people, incredibly empathetic and loving of their clients, uh, both human and canine, and do everything they can to make people comfortable. So um, big shout out to OSU. I love y'all. The little dog that you were there does not take pills well. So colloidal suspensions work much better, liquid medications. So they send in one of the vet techs, Rebecca, who's great. She's just a really super person. She runs their puppy classes um, to show how to give pills to dogs and or cats. And I thought this was brilliant and wish I would have thought of it. She had a paper plate and she had on it three small dollops of wet stuff. I think it was spray cheese, but she also used it with uh, she brought in a can of dog food about the size of a dime. And then she put some crunchy stuff. She took some goldfish crackers and crunched them up, put some crunchy stuff on each one of them. So you had both soft and crunchy. So then she said, what you do is you come up with a cute word. For her, it was snackies. And then what you do is you give the three treats right in a row. So as you said, oh, hey, Lulu, it's snack time. One, two, three. 
And the first time you do this, or the first few times, there are no pills in any of the little three treats. Just to give the dog the idea of what's going on. I get three little snacks in a row. Well, the dog that we were there with, she picked it up in pretty much a nanosecond that this was really cool. I get this crunchy, soft treat. So when the time comes to do the pill, you're going to put it in the second one. So we give the cue, snack time. One, the dog begins to, oh, that's right, this is a snack. Two, I gobble down the second one because, boom, three, the third one is coming right away. And she said it's very effective for both dogs and cats. So I can do a little graphic for that that we'll put on the website. But I thought it was brilliant. And she said, think of it this way. If you're eating vanilla pudding and then you suddenly run into something crunchy, you're like, this is not right. But if you're eating buttered pecan ice cream and you run into something crunchy, it's like, oh, it must just be a pecan. So that's the whole idea between putting something crunchy in the soft food is returning vanilla ice cream or vanilla pudding into butter pecan ice cream, which I thought was a great analogy. So those are two things. What about you, Tina? I think it it always surprises me how people think the dog's not going to be on to them, right? Like yes. if, the, if the only time the dog ever gets a super high value treat in the kitchen is when you're medicating them, they figure it out. Like, oh, they do. They do. They spend all day watching you. So yeah, like we talk about in puppy class a lot, like it when you're pilling, if you have a dog who's difficult to pill, then you have to actually do it totally for free for every day, multiple times a day to fix it. But if I have a dog who's difficult to pill, a client dog who's difficult to pill, I would come up with whatever the crunchy, like this crunchy treat idea is a good one. Cause I think that is a piece that we maybe, I don't know, I might do rice crispy treats and peanut butter or rice crispy treats and baby food or something together. She uses a lot of baby food meat and she says rice crispy treats are great for cats. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, for the first 10 days, three times a day, have three to five treats Call your dog over, treat, 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 all done. So sad, moving on to the rest of our day. We're going to do it again in eight hours. Treat, 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 right? Over and over and over again until the dog's like, hold up, it's six o'clock. It's probably time for my fancy treats in the kitchen. Even the most suspicious dog will eventually decide that whatever you're offering them, like, it's just cookies because you don't have any angst, right? Like, you're not like, oh, is he going to be on to me? Eventually, I do the same thing. I do it with five, but I do treat, treat, roofing, treat, 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 <laughs> right? So the same thing. They're like the third, the third one goes down and they're looking to four. They're not pushing it around in their mouth going, does this have something in it? Now, again, if you have a dog who's difficult to pill, then you have to start with completely benign. No, you're just getting treats totally for free. There's not any strings attached. There's no ulterior motive. And then if, for example, you then have to medicate for a period of time, you're going to have to like apron that with the same thing for 10 days on the other side of it so that it kind of wipes the slate clean. But I think that's a great, I think that's a fantastic idea. And one that, again, I think For me, the takeaway was put something crunchy in there too, like pound up some dog food and put the 
something crunchy in there because I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't nope. either. And that's what I thought was the brilliant part. I'm like, Rebecca, you're brilliant. And she said, well, well I have moments. And I'll tell you, when we first got Mr., he had an infection that for some reason he needed to be on Panicure. And they, instead of doing the powder, which I can hide in yogurt, they decided to give us a liquid suspension. I think because he was a little dog, they thought that was going to be easier. You know, Panicure, you have to do three doses in a row. So I did the first dose and he was real new to our household. And he was like, for the record, you try that again and you're going to the hospital. And I was like, oh, so this is like, I didn't know this dog. Like, okay, guess we're going to learn something new about you. And so I went and got vanilla Greek low fat yogurt and I broke open all my extra syringes and we did lots of eating vanilla Greek yogurt, which by the way, tastes like frosting out of syringes for the rest of the day. Right. So dose number two, the next day was a syringe with yogurt, a syringe with yogurt. And then at the Panicure one, like you can't add yogurt to it, but what I can do is move the barrel of the syringe in the yogurt. And as he's licking the vanilla yogurt off the outside of the syringe, I'm squirting a little bit of Panicure into his mouth. We got it down. That worked fine. And then the rest of the day, more Greek yogurt. (laughs) And then I did the same thing day three. And then again, Until we used up the rest of that Greek yogurt, he got multiple syringes of Greek yogurt every day so that, you know, he was much more tolerant of my shenanigans and we didn't pick a fight. I see lots of people who, if their dog is resistant to taking a med, all of a sudden we add a whole bunch more force and trickery and all of that. And I just, I think it gets you into trouble. I can tell you now he's lived with us three years. He'll pretty much take anything I give him because he gets a lot of really great stuff for free. And so he's not front loaded to, we're going to fight about everything. He's front loaded to, no, 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 it's going to be great, right? Like it's going to be something really yummy. That's a really important point too, is, and it's not a one-to-one. So that if you have given your dog something and he's really doesn't like it and now he's really skeptical. You can't just give them a couple of good treats. It's like you have to really front load. You have to build up your bank account because you made a huge withdrawal, right? And so you have to build that bank account back up again, which is what I love about the idea of even after we've gone through the ritual of giving the pill, we have treats that follow up, like if you do three or five, like you said, or the following up for days later, so that you are building that bank account. So the next time you have to give a pill, you have some withdrawal money here. And you have to feed the dog anyway. Right. So what if three times a day, some of their calories are cheese or Rice Krispie treat and baby food? I I don't care. I really don't care for baby food meat, but my dogs love it. Baby food meat's kind of gross. Yeah, you're right. Um, But the dogs do like it. And and you can always make it. Like, you can always make a meat paste, right? Like, that's not difficult. It well, just like, takes Zuzu time. takes pills twice a day. And in the morning, I just slip it in her chicken slurry, which she loves. And in the evening, it goes inside her meatball. And it's down the gullet before she even realizes that she swallowed her medication. Right. I mean, I give Christopher medications all the time just in his coffee. Oh, did I say that on the web? on the podcast. I hope he doesn't listen. All right. So I'm kidding. I don't actually roofie him. 
though I have considered it in the past. And again, like when I'm a crotchety old woman who you have to medicate, feel free to put it in, you know, cheese or you can put it in my chips and queso. I'll be fine. All right. So my big takeaway this week, I'll give you one that I learned yesterday. So I have a dear friend, Becky Finney, who I've known for over 20 years. She's smart and pretty. And she is a Boston Terrier aficionado. Boston Terriers are kind of special. They have kind of their own group of behavior things that are that are fascinating. And they have their and own so- fan base, which is really yeah. interesting. I mean, and it's a it's a very loyal fan base. I mean, it people is. like Golden Retrievers, but there's something about BT people. Yes. Well, and admittedly, like, I mostly see the awful ones. So I always think, like, why? Why? Like, why? Anyway, so I don't get to see the awesome ones usually. Okay, well, here's the exception. She just adopted a new rescue that's four years old. And he's great. Like, he's a really, really, really nice young dog. He's had a bunch of medical stuff. Big surprise. But he's new to her. And so some of the behaviors that he has are not really problems, but maybe a little bit not just a great match for her. Like, he jumps on people. He scoots out the door and then forgets his name. So you yesterday, sure he's not related to Clementine? He's definitely not a clumber. Definitely. So we were working on some stuff and he's really biddable. He learns really quickly. He did a really great job. Like he was super fun to work with. I started to see the allure, but then her roommate came home and it started this whole conversation that neither of them, none of their friends who come over like having a dog jump on them. So it was an interesting conversation because I said, okay, why do we think we're the only ones? Like if you come to my house No, you are not going to be tackled by four dogs at the door. They go in their crates and then I answer the door. Like that's how it rolls. Now, are are they going to bark from their crates? Sure, probably. I don't care. It doesn't matter. They're not tackling you. No one's sneaking out of the door. You're not tripping over a dog. Nobody's getting hurt. So part of my treatment protocol for this sweet boy is... 15 minutes before guests are supposed to come over, take him out and potty him, throw the ball for him, whatever, and then put him in his crate with something yummy to chew on and just let him chill out while the guests are there, right? At least 45 minutes, at least 45 minutes of he curls up, he takes a nap and he's ignoring the guests before you try to get him out and do introductions. Because it turns out if you do it that way, he doesn't jump on people. He just jumps on people when there's a super exciting, like, oh, my goodness, people are coming to visit. It's very exciting. It's the best thing that happened all day other than breakfast and dinner. And so I said, I would like you to start saying to your friends, could you put the dogs away before I come over? Could you put the dogs away? before? Whether it's outside or in the bedroom or in a crate or whatever, put them on a leash in time to a chair that I don't have to go near. I don't like getting jumped on. Please put your dog away. I'm like, let's start a wave of no longer having dogs at the front door when guests come in. I agree with you. And that's interesting you should mention this because one of the things we talked about at the behavior thing consult yesterday was the fact that these two dogs get so amped up when somebody comes to the door, then we get redirected arousal, which turns into aggression on one another. So one of the things we talked about was 
One, disarming the doorbell. Well, one, if you know when guests are coming, then you can plan this by putting one of the dogs in her crate in the bedroom. The other one's still in the process of being crate trained, but you don't have both dogs at the door. And they're little dogs, so they can be picked up. And they've actually figured out with one of them, if you just toss some Cheerios, she follows the Cheerios as opposed to going after the guests. But we're talking about, but separate them. The one who's happy in her crate, put her in her crate with a tasty Kong and don't bring him out until everybody's settled. Then the other thing we also talked about is if the doorbell, unexpected people ringing your doorbell is really upsetting, disarm your doorbell or get one that rings to your phone. Or just condition your dog. It's not that difficult. I mean, I use doorbell conditioning pretty consistently as a kennel up or go lay on your bed cue. Okay. It it doesn't even take an afternoon. Like it's super fast. You just condition it. Like you're just sitting boring in your living room, doorbell sound effect on your phone, doorbell cheese, doorbell cheese, doorbell cheese. A dog cannot bark and swallow at the same time. They just can't. And most dogs given the choice between cheese and barking will choose cheese. You're nowhere near the front door. So even if they run to the front door, they'd have to leave the cheese, right? They're self-serving. They they generally just don't do that. And then let's say I'm using a crate. It would be exactly the same if I taught the dog to go lay on your bed or go to the bedroom or whatever, like my bedroom. But it's literally stand in the stand there with the doorbell sound of like ding dong, toss cheese in the crate. Ding dong, toss cheese in the crate. Until when ding dong happens, the dog goes in the crate and then take one step away, build it again. And then start working it from random directions in the house. And then just make it a rule that if your doorbell rings or if the doorbell rings on TV for the dogs who are knuckleheads about that, treats happen in the dog's crate. Very quickly, you just get dogs barking headed toward their crates. You didn't even have to say bedtime. They just go, right? You just sequence it. You sequence teaching the dog to be a maniac at the door. Just take the power back. And sequence them that the doorbell does not mean we all run to the door yelling at each other. Instead, we all go and chill out and mom goes to the door alone. Now, I will admit, if somebody rings my doorbell at 3.30 in the morning, the completely useless Doberman is going to the front door with me. I don't care if he barks and carries on like a knucklehead then, because either there is a dire emergency that a neighbor needs my help, in which case I'll, you know, push the Doberman away. Or there's something bad happening and I would like a big doofusy dog who tends to worry some people, even though he's completely useless. He's like a stuffed animal of dogs, but he, he's not going to hurt anybody, but he will give someone pause if they're going to try to force their way in my house. Right. Well, the thing that I love about both Clemmy and Zuzu is they are really nice, lovely dogs who really like people, but they've got these deep barrel chests and their bark is really loud and deep. So I don't mind a couple of barks out of them because it tends to make you stop because they're these these deep woof kind of barks as opposed to woof, 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 woof. So anyway, that's Julie doing her dog imitations. Right, and you can do the same thing for knocking for those of you who are like, but dog trainer, what about the doorbell? Like, use it to your benefit. We've taught dogs that like a toddler going, all done, it 
because don't all kids learn? Like, are you all done eating? All done. Like, they all learn how to say that to you. I have totally taught dogs that all done by a child means go lay on your bed. Oh, I love that. By the, by the way, it helps with grouchy toddlers. They think it's really funny when the dog, like, jumps up and races over to the bed, bouncing and laughing, and then you drop off, you know, three kibble to it. So I think a lot of times we survive stuff kind of like the pilling, right? Like we were just talking about it. Like, oh, well, we just get busy and we only ever give the dog the piece of cheese that has the clavamox in it. And then we wonder why the dog doesn't want to be pilled. Well, because you didn't trick him with the cheese. Like he knew that clavamox was in there. So we have to just, I don't know, have better hygiene about it and not escalate to picking a fight. Like, just, okay, how do we condition something different that we like better so that it's not a problem? But it was interesting to me that all of them were like, no, we really don't like it. It doesn't feel safe when dogs tra- charge us at the front door. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a challenge out there for y'all to ask. Think about it yourself and ask your friends, neighbors, family members, how comfortable are they with having dogs greeting them at the front door. And if the consensus is we really don't like it, it doesn't feel very comfortable, which I'll tell you for me it does not feel very comfortable, then let's let's start a change where we don't let that happen. Whether it's the dog is taught to go lie in a crate or lie on a bed or go on a leash tied to your sofa that's super heavy or get stuck in the back bedroom or whatever and slow down those introductions at the door. I bet we'd make a happier, safer place. I All think right, you're so right. What's your next one? My next one is another issue that arose with this dog. It, its sister loves to play, loves to play fetch. And this dog will play a few times, but is really not particularly interested in playing, but doesn't particularly want its sister to play either. And so one of the things that we discussed and something I had I was glad the behaviors brought it up because of something I had talked to them about as well. And that is, it's okay to separate your dogs and to alternate playing. So the one dog who's happy with a frozen peanut butter Kong in her crate, put her in her crate, give her something that makes her happy, maybe even put on some through a dog's ear music so she can't hear her sister playing, even though she's in a bedroom with the door closed. You know, let's just make sure that we don't hear anything because she's also a bit noise sensitive. So then you can play with the other dog for, you know, and have a great rousing game of fetch or tag or whatever it is that your dog likes to play or tug without there being a play referee yelling at her and putting stress on both of the dogs so that the dog has a great play session, the other one has a great Kong, and then you can alternate. We'll put the other dog in a crate with a Kong while you bit the first one out and play with her a little bit or do something that she really likes. That it's really okay to separate your dogs. It's really okay to alternate activities with dogs because it makes your life better and it definitely makes their life better because neither one of them is trying to do something they love with a great deal of stress with somebody else yelling at me about it. It's like we have a dog down the street from us that if we walk on the same side of the street and that dog's on its front porch, it loses its mind. It just loses its mind. And my dogs do not need to be yelled at. And that dog does not need to be amped up so much. So I always cross the street and walk on the other side of the street, which is enough distance for that dog to look over and maybe go woof, woof, but not lose its mind. 
So it's the same kind of thing is that provide dogs with an alternative that is going to make everybody a lot happier. In conjunction with that, they also find that one dog on a walk is reactive to people. The other one's reactive to dogs. So they've been doing lately is taking the dogs on separate walks. And they find that so much easier to manage their dogs. And they have just a little neighborhood and um, everybody in the neighborhood knows their dogs. And so they've been able to walk successfully. They don't do really long walks, but they like to do some walks with their dogs. But they have found that that has worked out much better for them because then what they can do is they can focus on working with each individual dog and starting to counter condition the trigger for that particular dog, as well as it just puts a, a lot less stress on them not trying to manage two dogs because then what would happen is if one would bark, um, if one would see a dog and then start barking, then the other one would start barking and then they would redirect and things just got really messy. So this this whole idea of it's okay to either work or play your dog separately or to alternate dogs for activities. It'll make everybody's life a lot happier. Yeah. I mean, we think about that with kids, right? Our kids don't all love all the same things or I don't know. I'm allergic to shellfish. I don't really eat seafood at all. Cause frankly, if you've ever had an allergy to shellfish, it'll, it'll give you pause about all seafood. Christopher loves seafood, right? So I think of it in terms of like, okay, well, should Christopher have to give up seafood because I don't like it? No, like I want him to enjoy the things he loves. So we have a dog who also tends to be kind of the the fun police. Uh, and he's sometimes not entirely fair about it, if I was to be honest. So when the Doberman puppy is ramrodding around being a fool, then that other dog has something else to do. So Maybe one's playing inside and the other one's playing outside or one has another activity to do or whatever. But yeah, mine are, my dogs are definitely individuals and they don't all want to do everything together, especially they're not a familial group. They didn't choose each other, right? Like Marco would have never chosen a 90 pound Doberman puppy as his brother. He would really like to just be an only child. Our Shih Tzu was like that. It's like, what do you mean you got a second dog? Did you not get the memo? I thought it was really clearly stated that I'm an only dog family. Dog. Right. Like I'm an only dog dog. So you, Marco would just like to spend all day cuddling and eating popcorn and watching Netflix. So I don't expect him to, you know, want to always play with the giant knucklehead puppy. I view it as like my kids were all really different and they each got one-on-one different time with me exploring the things that made their heart sings. I view it the same as my dogs. And I don't think forcing everyone to do the same thing is fair. It doesn't feel fair to me. No, it doesn't feel fair to me either. And it's just like, there's sometimes I want to, when I go, I want to go for a walk and I just want to walk Zuzu. I just feel like walking Zuzu. I don't feel like taking Clemmy and trying to deal with two dogs. Most of the time, I don't care. We have fun. I worked with both dogs, and they they do really well. But everyone's like, I just want one dog, or I don't want to take a dog. Sometimes I go for a walk just by myself, and the dogs are like, really? We're not going? I'm like, yeah, really, you're not going. And it's okay. You will live to see another day and another walk. But it's really okay to do what's right for each individual, including yourself. Well, I don't walk multiple dogs at the same time unless I have multiple handlers. I just don't, 
right? I think in terms of if an emergency happened, I can't adequately handle two dogs. I just can't. So I don't, I don't do it. And emergencies do happen, right? Yeah. In our neighborhood, I would say one out of three walks, we flush a herd of deer. One out of three walks. It could be at two o'clock in the afternoon. Doesn't matter. Herd of seven deer go galloping through the neighborhood, right? I love them. Dogs are kind of loopy about them. If I had two dogs on a leash together, I would likely not enjoy my walks that much. Like that's a big ask for dogs, right? That's avoiding the person who accidentally lets their dog out and isn't the dog isn't managed or the kid who the other day I was walking one of the dogs and a little boy fell on his bike and was pretty banged up, right? If I had had two dogs, I would have had a problem. Instead, I could tie one dog to a mailbox across the street with the carabiner on his leash. That dog was perfectly content to see me there while I helped kind of get the little boy sorted out. And then I had his bike in one hand and the dog in the other hand. And we walked to his house and I leaned his bike up against the mailbox while he went to the front door and got the person. I think he had a babysitter at home, but the person who was sitting with him could come out and help him. Right. If I had had two dogs, I would not have had an extra hand. So I just don't do it. And I know there are people who are like, oh, pack walks, blah. And I'm like, it, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. Well, I would say in general, it goes well for us most of the time. And I, and that's great. Yeah. I will tell you, most of the time when I'm in the neighborhood or when I'm driving around town and I see people walking multiple dogs, the dogs don't look like they're having a very good time. Okay. So I just watch body language. I go, okay, the person looks miserable because they're wrestling two dogs while they're trying to clean up a bag of poop, right? And the dogs don't look happy. Like, why are we doing this together? Like, I just do it one at a time. So my dogs typically, I just rotate through them. So like one day I take this one, another day I take another one, or one walk I take this one and, you know, the walk in the afternoon I take another one. And if my dogs don't get walked every day, it's okay. It doesn't matter. They'd rather sniff around and play a game with me than they would go on a walk anyway. So walks are kind of boring for dogs, I think. Well, my dogs seem to really enjoy the walks and they seem to enjoy the walks together. And so it it, it, it works for us. But there are times when I'm just like, yeah, I, I only want one dog. But most of the time when we're out for a walk, it's Brad and I with both dogs so that we do have a handler for each dog. And I will say that that uh, you're right. Emergencies do arise and you have to be prepared for that. So the other thing that I was going to mention was I was rummaging through a drawer to try and find something which I didn't find, but that's okay. But what I did find was a list of common holiday items that are toxic for your pet. Some of which I, I knew, but others of which I had forgotten. So. I'm just going to list a few here. Did you know that cinnamon and nutmeg were not good for dogs? How how much would they have to have for it to be a problem? I don't know. It doesn't say. So this is kind of like the current controversy about garlic. Yes, garlic is on the list. You and I were taught from the time we were, you know, knee high to a grasshopper that garlic is toxic to dogs and it'll kill your dog, blah, blah. No, you're a medium-sized dog would have to eat something like 450 cloves of garlic to be in toxicity. Okay, well, if I eat 450 cloves of garlic, 
also going to likely not feel great. So I always worry about these lists because that's why I asked the question, like, how much nutmeg? Like, are we talking about, like, if your dog licks the pie plate that had a little bit of nutmeg sprinkled on top of the pumpkin pie, if they're, like, doing the pre-rinse for you before the dishwasher, is that a dangerous amount of nutmeg? Or do they have to eat 300 pounds of nutmeg for it to be a problem? So if you know the answer to this, by all means, tag us and, and give us some feedback. Well, then I will say that I'm going to just list a couple of things that I know for sure that even in small amounts can be quite toxic. And one of those is macadamia nuts. They can cause paralysis. And so macadamia nuts in, in any portion is, are not a good idea because I don't think we really know the level at which, but it does cause serious, serious problems. So macadamia nuts for sure should be limited. Of course, grapes and raisins, which we have gone over in the past. Currants would be in the same group because they're just tinier ones. I also, I did know that poinsettias can be toxic to dogs. Once again, I don't know the level. So again, I think it's like they would have to eat an awful lot of it. And the amount they would have to eat, it's my understanding, would actually induce vomiting before there would be enough to be a problem. Right. That is my understanding. Because I had a client years ago who their dog ate a poinsettia when they were out of the house. And we ended up calling the poison control hotline and navigated all of it. And they were like, it's really, it's just not that big a deal. Well, the other thing I would say about the poison control hotline is if you are, if your dogs are on a home alone or not home alone, home again, which is when you microchip your dog, you then have to register the microchip with a service. Okay, Most people think just having the microchip will do it, but it won't. You need to register with a service. And my dogs are registered with Home Again. And if you are registered with Home Again, then the pet poison control hotline is free. Otherwise, it's $75 for or 50 to $75, I think, per episode. So anyway, another reason to join Home Again. Well, it ASPCA has a poison control. They they have a hotline. They also have an app that you can look it up for all sorts of species, including like horses. Wow. Not that horses are poisonous, but what's poisonous to horses? So, But I think a really, dog would have to eat an awful lot of horse. Probably if let's not encourage dogs to eat horses. So I like horses and dogs. They can eat spiders. Yeah, they can eat all the spiders they want. But Sure, some spiders are poisonous and some are venomous. Yeah. So, I mean, am I going to knowingly buy someone who has a cat, a flower arrangement that has lilies in it? No, because that's highly dangerous to cats, all parts of the lily. However, I would not necessarily be terrified to give you a poinsettia with your, well, maybe with Clementine I would. But but I don't really, I don't worry, really worry. Like after our call to poison control, it was, it turned out like, yeah, this is not really a big deal. So one I did want to mention, because I also don't know the amount, but I think this is something is alcohol. Dogs should not have alcohol. It is not a good idea for dogs. And it's really not funny if your dog gets drunk. And so even, you know, for holiday tricks, no alcohol for your pets, not a good idea. Well, and, and caffeine's really dangerous. It's a depressant for dogs. ASPCA has a poison control number. Um, I also found this other animal poison control number that's 855-764-7661. Um, they have a bunch of free information on their website. 
You also can, of course, call the number and get support. Most poison control for dogs, I will tell you, whenever throughout the holidays, somebody's like, oh my goodness, my dog ate XYZ, my answer is always call the poison control number. Call the poison control number, call the poison control number. Even if I know it's probably okay, I am not a veterinarian. I don't want that on my conscience. I'm going to tell you to call poison control. And I've done it myself. I have had a dog eat something at my house that I ended up like crud. Let's call poison control and just make sure this is an emergency. And they were like, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. And we moved on. But I'd rather have the peace of mind. And I don't care if that costs me $35 or $75. It's just not that big a deal. And I don't email or call or text my local vet tech or vet. I call poison control. Yes. No, I agree. And in fact, um, I will put the number on the website, uh, the ASPCA poison control number, for those of you who want to write it down immediately and put it in your phone, is 888-426-4435. The other thing that I have on the notes for the uh, control number, which is in my phone, is both of my dog's microchip numbers. So they can look up the dogs really quick. And then they say, oh yeah, you called, you know, three, you know, three weeks ago or whatever. But anyway, so put your dog's microchip number on the same thing. So when you call, it's right there and they can look it up. So do you worry that you're on like a, on a flagged list that they're like, oh, Clemmy again. Yes, Clemmy again. So also for things for traveling in the holidays, if you're going to travel with your animals, one, Look up and program in emergency vets along the way or in the area that you're going to, right? And call and make sure the information you've been giving, the address and the phone number are accurate because Google doesn't update instantaneously. So, for example, here in Arizona, if you put in, or I didn't do it today to double check, but up until recently, if you put in like emergency vet, it included two facilities that are closed. So if I had been calling them and trying to drive to their location, I would have potentially used up precious time and energy. So I encourage everyone, like if I'm going to visit family in Buffalo, I'm going to put the emergency vet in Buffalo in my phone, both the address and the phone number for anyone who would be a driver in our household. I also get a copy of my animal's vet records emailed to me so I've got them portably and electronically and I don't have to worry about it. I save them in a Google Drive. The supplements and how much my dogs eat and what they eat is all in a Google Drive for each dog and cat. Additionally, if people are going somewhere that is going to a different climate than they're used to or a different environment than they're used to, Checking out what hazards are in that environment that you may not be familiar with in your environment. So, for example, I'm originally from upstate New York. We had, like, other than rattlesnakes, there wasn't really anything venomous in our area. I moved to Georgia. It's just shy of Australia. Everything tries to murder you. Yes, living in the South has its unique challenges. Right, like totally different plants. Totally different animals. Turns out everything's a little extra grumpy <laughs> from time to time. And so we, we need to know that. Likewise, if I was taking my dogs to Buffalo, going to where my aunt just had four feet of snow, I'd have to be prepared. Another easy travel trick is take 
a couple of gallons of water from your tap with you to mix with the water where you're going and then do the same thing in reverse on the way back home so that you gradually adjust water because water in Buffalo is really different than my water at my house and will result in digestive unrest that no one enjoys. So I learned a long time ago, take a bunch of water, more than you'll ever need. Then if you have a breakdown on the road, if you have to make multiple stops because some weird thing happens, it's not a big deal. It's easy to transition the dog. And yourself, like you could brush your teeth with water that doesn't bother your belly either if you're going to be traveling. Great suggestions, Tina. Thank you. I appreciate those quite a bit. So I think we've given our our uh, listeners, who say our owners, I don't what our people, our peeps. We we have people. Um, we've given them um, a wide variety of information, and hopefully they will find it to be useful during the holidays and and throughout. I mean, some of these suggestions are are ones that this is not just restricted to holiday time. This is something you should know about and can utilize throughout the year. Can you think of anything else that you wanted to add to that? The only other thing I can say is whatever big family get together you had previously, whether that was Thanksgiving or a birthday party or an anniversary party, how that went with your dog is a reminder of what you want to work on before the next get together that you either need to manage your way around or you need to train your way around to make it go more smoothly here currently right now it's we're recording this on the 30th of November. My local customers I am talking to about like, okay, you made it through Thanksgiving weekend. What went really awesome that you want to remember to do again? And where maybe where there are a couple of wobbly hiccups that we want to figure out another way or practice and prepare for a little bit differently for Christmas, New Year's, the championship game. Again, you're going to have stuff going on, like think, just take a moment and think like, okay, what went really great? I don't know. Most people who take a dish to pass, right, or, or cook a big dinner, know the recipes that they will never make again. Because that cheese bread, while it was great, your oven has smelled like burning cheese for three weeks. Like you're never making it again. It's too messy. It's too much work. It doesn't matter that they carried you on your shoulder, on their shoulders having a parade for how good your cheese bread was. You're still like, never, I will never do that again. So this is the same thing. Like you can choose like, okay, what do we want to adjust with the dog? So you just, you likely, whatever the last big get together was at your home or little get together even gave you a look in of how it's going to be for your next get together. So what are you going to work on? What are you going to do differently? What are you going to do the same? What worked great? What was awful? I will also do a big shout out. So we have offered on many occasions to help families match a dog to their family. We actually had a listener take advantage of this just this last week. I got to do a one-on-one Zoom appointment. And really, the family had already done beautiful research already. I was super proud of, um, I mean, I knew that our, our people were pretty fantastic, but it still was beautiful to see that this family had not taken it lightly. And so big shout out to Sheena that I'm so proud and I'm so excited that as they're moving through this process of adding a new dog to their household for an as an ambassador for the, your family, that they let us help for free. 
right? They, she just jumped on a call and we chatted and we had a really great time. I got to meet her little girl. It was awesome. Definitely gave them some things to think about and to consider. And I'm excited to see what they come up with. And I'm happy to answer her questions again in the future. You so, know, it might be a great one is when they get the dog, let's get Sheena on yeah. your family dog. And let's have yeah, a talk about the process. If she's willing, absolutely, yes. Because I think it's, it's such an important decision, right? It right. is. And I think it'd be important to talk to somebody who just recently went through the whole process. What worked, what didn't, what was advice, what was helpful advice from us or you, us as in your family dog, but it was really you. So I think that would be something that I would really like to do. All right. No. I got to go. Grandkids have arrived. So we'll see. Well, whoa, next time on your family dog. Thanks, Tina. Bye. Thanks for listening to your family dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.